0: Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries, with founder and director Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. The book of Ecclesiastes is looking at life from a human perspective and from uh, what's called life under the sun, a phrase that we see over and over again And Solomon kind of summarizes the way he sees things with this word Vanity in, in some translations, meaninglessness in some translations But the word really has to do with the, the enigmatic nature of life And how it's really hard to figure out from a human perspective The way we see things If we leave God out of the picture, we really don't know very much about What life is about, where it's going And the book kind of breaks down like this. We have an outline of Ecclesiastes where he declares that theme and uses those phrases in the first chapter early in the book. And then they recur throughout the book. And he demonstrates that theme by his own experiences and and his opinions about life as he went through it and tried all these different things. And nothing still seemed to make a great deal of significance or make a life of meaning for him. And then King Solomon draws deductions from that theme where he gives us admonitions, advice, and imperatives as we're going to see today. We'll get all three from our passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And I really can't wait till we get to the conclusion for more than one reason. Uh, But it just wraps things up very, very nicely at the end of the book. So a man goes to his doctor and he's not feeling well. And the doctor says, well, I have bad news for you. You only have 10 to live man says what do you what do you mean 10 and doctor says nine eight (laughs) that's not the kind of news you want to hear is it but it does illustrate the uncertainty of life and the shortness of life life can be short and uncertain and we all know that we're going to die if the lord doesn't return uh first uh but it helps us think about our lives and about what aging means as, as we all get older, but who is really old? Um, is it is someone who is advanced in years or is it someone who is closer to their death, even though they may be a five-year-old child? So uh, accident, illness, terrible tragedies like murder or uh, natural calamities can bring life to a sudden end. I remember one of my friends told me his dad had just discovered, they had just discovered cancer and he was dead in less than a week. So it can happen that quickly. So what Solomon has said before, earlier in his letter, is enjoy life while you can. Uh, Too many people, I, I believe, and I think Solomon would agree, that are waiting and putting things off, thinking that life will get better and life will stay longer, and that's not always the case. And so we make our plans for maybe the end of life or after retirement. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that, I, I do the same. But, but we should enjoy life along the way. Somebody has said life is what happens to you while you're making plans. So the question is how can I get the most out of life today? Uh, should I wait until retirement? Should I put things off? The or should I do some of those today? Really, what we're going to find out is the key is balance in all of this thing. Um, so, wisdom there's wisdom in saving and in waiting and delaying gratification. But I think Solomon's going to tell us that there's also wisdom in enjoying life today and making the most out of it that we can today. Life should be lived, not just endured. There is a balance. You see, he, in chapter 8, <clears throat> Solomon had said, you know, I just can't figure it out. I've worked hard, and even as a wise, he, the wise man, I cannot figure out me, the meaning of life. That's how he ends chapter 8 uh, from our last time. He says he's even loo- losing sleep trying to figure out what's going on, and he can't. So we come to chapter 9 then. And we're going to see he says that everything in life is uncertain. Uh, We don't know if God loves us or hates us. Look what it says in verse 1. For I considered all this in my heart. The word considered there means he carefully calculated and thought about this. He reflected and concluded some things. And then he draws these conclusions and shares them with us. When he says considered all this, it's all that he's written about so far about all the different things that he sees in life, how the good die young and and uh, evil old people can live to old age, things that just don't make sense. So he considered these things in his heart so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. Now, what's he trying to say here? That there are good people and there are unrighteous people, so two classes of people he recognizes. And all their works are in the hands of God. Now, he's not saying there that uh, uh, our works earn anything with God. He's just saying that everything that they do is under God's control and his knowledge. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. When he says people neither know love nor hatred, I think what he's saying is that we really can't know if God loves us or hates us from what we see in the world. He's speaking, remember, under the sun. Now, we know that God loves us. The scriptures are very clear about that, and our experience tells us the same. But Solomon is writing from the everyday perspective of someone, looking around them, and something bad happens. and say, God can't love me. God must hate me. I mean, I've even had Christians say that. And perhaps you know someone like that. So from what we observe from our infinite, from our finite level, we cannot conclude that God loves us or hates us. I think that's what he's saying there. Because everybody seems to be treated the same, whether they're wicked or righteous. Now that's contrary to what's known as the prosperity gospel. It says believe in Jesus and you'll, you'll get a yacht, you know. That's different. God is sovereign and It's not always the righteous who prosper. Sometimes they suffer more. Therefore, life is uncertain, but it's never out of control because it's in his hand, in the hand of God. It says in verse 1. But you know that life is out of our control when we experience things like inflation, uh, recession, or whatever we're calling it these days. Um, The storms of life uh, I mean natural disasters of life And uh, He says He goes on in verse 2 to say One event Happens to the righteous and the wicked To the good, the clean and the unclean To him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice As is the good So is the sinner He who takes an oath As he who fears an oath What he's simply saying is that There's one event that happens to everybody whether they're good or bad no matter what they've promised God no matter what sacrifices they have made and what is that one thing well that one thing everything in life is uncertain except death and so he goes on in verse three this is an evil in all that is done under the sun that one thing happens to all truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil the sons of men just means humanity Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. So, we live among, (laughs) what Solomon's saying, we live among crazy people. Crazy, sinful people. And I don't think think I need to convince you of that when we look at the random school shootings. The random street crime. um, The... Uh, corruption of politics and politicians. I could go on and on. You know that. But the only thing that's certain is that we're all going to die someday if, unless the Lord returns. But from a human perspective, what we're looking at is death. Someone has said we're, we're, like, uh, we're like pieces of uh, chess pieces on a chessboard. We all have our place in this life. But in the end, we all end up in the box after the game's over. And that box is the coffin. I think, though, that we would do well as a society to understand what he says here, that this, that, that humanity is full of evil and madness is in their hearts. That would do away with so much of this ridiculous political theory that you know we can all get together and... Uh, let's just call it what they're calling it socialism marxism always believe that we can all work together for the good of man and we'll bring in paradise and everybody will be happy except for the fact that everybody's got a sinful heart and those who get in power are going to abuse that power and they're going to become oligarchs and billionaires and have the largest yachts in the world oh yeah that's good for everybody don't get me off track with the politics It's just that some people are so naive and it's because they don't believe what Solomon is telling us that people's hearts are full of evil and it's maddening. It's making them crazy is what he's saying and they do crazy things as we know. The summer of love, rage, random crime. So that's what's in store for you and me is a certain end, death. There's a bumper sticker that says, eat well, stay fit, and die anyway. <laughs> I kind of like that. I try to eat well, I try to stay fit. I work out four times a week at the gym, but I want to die anyway, so I eat bacon. I mean, you got to balance things out, right? That's what it's all about. And if I get to go to see the Lord three months earlier than you because I eat bacon, well, I get to go see the Lord three months earlier than you. So, I mean, there's, there's some common sense here. I have a daughter who's a health nut. She doesn't like me eating bacon. I said, I'm going to see Jesus before you. Well, the living are better off than the dead is what he goes on to make. His point in verses 4 through 6, and the way he says it is very interesting. But for him who is joined to the living, there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. In other words, for those who are alive, we have something, we have some hope that we can make something of our lives and maybe figure out a little bit more about life and do something good. And a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now what in the world is he talking about? We understand that in those days dogs were not cute Fido. They, 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 was, they were considered contemptible scavengers. And they just roamed the streets they, and scavenged and they were sometimes vicious and dangerous. And, um, Uh, they were kind of like a generic dog. And I tried to find a picture of the dogs that I see when I go to Africa and India. They all kind of look the same. They're about that color, but they don't have that long of hair. I really couldn't find my generic dog. Um, They do have some breeds in those countries, but there's these street dogs that wander around, and they're not very nice creatures. So a living dog, a living contemptible creature, is better than a noble, regal, dead lion Why? Because a dog can still do something with his life where a lion cannot, even though he had great stature and nobility, he can't do anything. So what the lesson for us is that when it comes to living, it's better to be alive while we can, when we can do something wise with our lives. He goes on in verse five, for the living know that they will die. You see, that's, a, that's a, a nice tip for us. You know that you're going to die. And that should inform the way that we live. But the dead, they know nothing. Now let's pause there for a second because I believe our Seventh-day Adventist friends uh, use this verse to teach the annihilationism, that once we die that we are annihilated, where there's no heaven, there's no hell, you just disappear forever. But that's not what Ecclesiastes is saying, and we should not get theology from a book like Ecclesiastes, who's looking at things under the sun. What he's saying is when he sees life under the sun and somebody dies, they don't know anything anymore about this life. He's not talking about those who are in eternity. Jesus taught us that there was consciousness in eternity. In uh, Matthew 25, Luke 16, he tells stories about those who are conscious in eternity. He's just saying from his perspective, when when you're dead, you're gone, and you don't have any more input into this life. That's what he's saying. Let's not get too theological about it. And they have no more reward. So they have no more opportunity to earn God's favor or do good things that would earn them a reward. And by the way, notice that he mentions the reward here. I love the book of Ecclesiastes because it it mentions this idea of accountability to God several times. At the end of the book, it comes out more strongly. Now we today as Christians know that we are accountable at the judgment seat of Christ Even though that's not mentioned in the Old Testament The concept of a reward in eternity is And Ecclesiastes the author seems to bring that out He knows that there's some kind of reward for those who are faithful in this life And they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten Soon everyone who is living will be forgotten Unless you do genealogical work You probably cannot tell me who your great-great-grandmother's name is or your great-great-grandfather's name is if i asked for a show of hands and i'd see one or two hands that's it your name will be forgotten in four generations unless somebody trips over your tombstone or spills your urn i don't know this is getting dark isn't it <laughs> sorry about that but solomon's calling it like it is and i he paints a dark picture Verse 6, also their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. In other words, all the emotion that they invested in this life, it doesn't matter anymore. The things they were angry about, the things that they loved, the things they were passionate about, things they were envious of, it just doesn't matter anymore. It perished with them. And it goes on in verse 7 to talk about how to make the most of the light, your life by, first there's four things he's going to say or I'm going to say anyway. First is enjoy good things that God has given you. Enjoy the good things that God has given you. And Hasn't he given us a lot? I mean, he's given us a wonderful country to live in. He's given us wonderful food, wonderful clothing, wonderful housing, friends, ministry, work, etc. We could go on and on and on. And I think Solomon is telling us that we should enjoy that. And here's how he says it, he says, go. Now that little word we shouldn't skip over too quickly, he's telling us to do something. Don't just get sucked into this dark world of hopelessness and, uh, and, and uh, unexplainable life as we've been dragging you down that path so far. He says, wait a minute, just go and eat your bread with joy. Enjoy what God has given you, your food. Drink your wine with a merry heart. You know, wine is used most often in the Bible for celebration, not for drunkenness. More references to wine include joy joy and celebration. Uh, But again, the issue is balance, of course. We're not saying go out and drink a bunch of wine. Wine is just associated with celebrating life. And Jesus is going to drink a cup with us when we come into the kingdom. At the marriage supper. For God has already accepted your works. I think what he's saying is that God has already accepted the fact that, that uh, you have, are, are um, able to and should enjoy some good things in life. Let your garments always be white. That's formal, nice clothing for special occasions. And your head lack no oil. So dress up. Put on your best perfume hair cream, whatever you use, and enjoy the good things in life. 1 Timothy 6.17 in the New Testament, of course, reinforces this idea where Paul said, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. You know, when God created us, he put us in the Garden of Eden. Did you know that the word Eden means delight? The Garden of Eden. He wanted us to be delighted with his creation, and so he put us there. And then he wants us to enjoy so he says, go. It's kind of a a note of urgency there. Go and do this now. Enjoy life now. Get started. Do it now. Have a blast while you last. That's why I titled it that. Pop the cork, just remember where the blessings come from. Don't abuse them. Don't overindulge. You see, a lot of people think that Solomon is promoting hedonism or a life of pleasure. I'm staying at the Epicurean Hotel. You know, <laughs> Epicurean, Epicurus, his, his theme was pleasure is the highest good. They say that on the Board there on the screen, and I thought that was interesting. So Epicurus said, pleasure is the highest good. We know that pleasure is not the highest good, but it is good to enjoy what God has given to us, but there's that balance that we have to have. So enjoy life, appreciate what God has given you, don't overindulge, don't lose control, don't abuse, don't sin, we're not talking about unbridled hedonism but live a balance that is acceptable to God. And the second thing, not only enjoy what God has given you, but enjoy your marriage, he says in verse 9. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. All your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Live joyfully with your wife, or let's just say with your spouse. God has given us a companion in life. He did as in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Delight, to make it even more delightful. He said it's not good that man should be alone, and he created man a woman for the man that he had created. And so they were happy together. And when Adam saw Eve, he was impressed with her. And I'm sure in the Garden of Delight, he did exactly that, Uh, delighted in his wife. Proverbs 5 reminds us of that wisdom. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured by her love. Yes, enjoyment of our spouse and having a good time includes physical pleasure as well. Uh, We can't skip over that. Uh, but you notice it's your wife, your youth, your husband, not someone else's. So again, God has given us by design marriage as a place where we can really enjoy one of his good gifts that is our spouse. Oh, you know what? Look what he says. Uh, he says, to enjoy your, live joyfully with your wife All the days of your vain life. So in view of the fact that you're going to die, enjoy the mate that God has given you should you be fortunate enough to still have your mate with you. Why does he say all the days of your vain life? Because what does the Bible teach? Jesus said in heaven, there is no marriage, right? So if you're going to enjoy marriage, it's got to be now in this life. And I think we would all... Can I testify that even if you've lost your spouse, which is sorrowful, that uh, you enjoyed the time. And then in verse 10, enjoy your work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Good advice here to just throw yourself into something in this life. If you can't figure, don't spend all your time figuring things out or don't sink down into depression. But get busy doing about whatever God has put in your path to do. Whether it be work, whether it be school, whether it be a, building a relationship or a family. Uh, give it everything you've got. He, the echo in Colossians 3.23 is whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Put everything into it. The words of Jim Elliot, a young missionary who went to Ecuador with his team to reach the Aka Indians and was martyred there on the beach when they landed their plane. You know the story of Jim Elliot. He was probably in his 20s, and, but he, he kept a journal and you should read it. It's really good reading. He was a good writer. He said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. That's what he did. He was going for it. An unreached tribe in the middle of the jungle, in the face of danger. He did. He put it all in, all on the line. He lost his life, but he's influenced many, many more. So, work hard at what God has given you to do. Do something positive. Make a contribution with the time that God has given us. Now, I want to read a paraphrase from the Bible called The Message, it's a paraphrase, and uh, I just like the way he expresses verses 7 through 10, so it might be a little small for you to read, I'm going to read it to you. This is going back and reading 7 through 10 altogether. Seize life, eat bread with gusto, drink wine with a robust heart. Oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively every morning, don't skimp on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love, each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it and heartily. This is your last and only chance at it, for there is neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead where you're most likely headed. Isn't that a neat paraphrase? Speaking more in an everyday language to unravel what Solomon is trying to say to us. Well, enjoy the good things God gives us. Enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your work that God has given you. And then enjoy your life while you can. Tragedy and death are unpredictable and arbitrary, and success is not always what we think it is. He goes on and says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But time and chance happens to them all. So he mentions five categories of people here. People that look like winners, but they all end up being losers. So things aren't always as they appear to be. Someone who's strong can really be defeated. A teenage David can take out a strong, giant Goliath. Somebody who's really wise and looks like they have things figured out can fall into sin and apostasy from the Lord, like Solomon. We can all think of those who had so much talent and so much strength and so much ability and yet they fail in life for some reason. So, things don't always go the way that we expect them to. Tragedy, death, bad choices can happen to all. Life can be unpredictable and arbitrary. He goes on to say, for man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it fail, falls suddenly upon them. He uses the illustration here of fish in a net or birds caught in snares. Uh, in the ancient days, I don't know exactly what that might have involved, but you know, in modern days, when you, when you talk about birds. Uh, fish taken in a net, you think of uh, these big circular nets that just scoop up fish and fish don't know what's happening until it's too late and the nets close and they're caught and they're trapped unexpectedly. Life was good one day, one minute, and the next they're, they're, they're canned tuna or the birds caught in a snare. It brings to mind pictures I've seen of uh, them wanting to capture a flock of birds and they shoot off rockets with the nets attached to them and the nets go over the birds and these birds are fine one minute and the next they're captives. They do it for research. I don't think they kill them and make them and can them like they do the tuna. But what what he's saying is that unexpected things happen and suddenly we find ourselves trapped in these kind of circumstances. You don't know when the party is going to be over, so expect the unexpected. Uh, what is his name? Ask, um, oh, Donald, Donald Peters bought a Connecticut lottery ticket and won $10 million on November 1st, 2008, died that afternoon of a heart attack. Expect the unexpected, I think is what it's trying to say. You know, we live in a town, um, Burleson, which is just outside of Fort Worth, so I tell people we're from Fort Worth, but Burleson's its own city, little city, and it's a nice place to live. We don't have big problems, although the city's creeping down on us. But just a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, uh, in June, we read that... A woman driving down the road is shot. She's just minding her own business, she's driving down the road. Seems like two gangs dealing drugs had come down from the city to transact a deal in a safer place like Burleson where nobody keep an eye on them probably. And then they got in a shootout. And one of the bullets struck a 64-year-old woman named Katherine as she was driving by. Not what you would expect to happen. But Solomon's trying to say, expect the unexpected. We read all the time about random shots going through walls, killing children in their sleep in Chicago, New York, or wherever, some of these bigger cities where they have all this gang violence, it's, 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 a, it's a shame. But can you imagine going to bed one night, hearing a nursery rhyme and then getting shot in the middle of the night and not waking up? That's how uncertain life can be. So in view of that, enjoy your life while you can. Spend time with your spouse, with your friends, work hard at what you're doing, plan your family activities, find a good hobby, find a good sport, stop at Starbucks, put on your good duds, put on some good perfume, go out, have fun, but remember, he'll remind us at the end of the book, you're going to have to give an account to God, so it's not unbridled hedonism, I want to emphasize that, but don't live in fear of the future. What future? We may not have one beyond today. So we can't live in fear of the unknown. Live today and enjoy what you can. Even if it's uncomfortable, life begins at the end of your comfort zone, someone has said. So take a little time to relax and enjoy the things that God has given to you. Don't put it all off until the end. People always ask me when I'm going to retire. I don't know what retirement is with what, do, what I do, you know. Uh, somebody says, hey, would you come teach the Bible? I say, no, I'm retired. <laughs> now, it would be different if, if they needed a, you know, some, some other kind of skill, but if, as long as I can talk, I guess I can teach the Bible if I can think clearly and talk. So I don't know what retirement means. But Karen and I, I think we've, we've kind of come to the conclusion we need to have a little fun along the way because we don't know how long that way is going to be. So when we come, to Tampa, Florida, to Bayside Community Church, we're going to the beach for a few days. Because I don't know if you know this, but north central Texas doesn't have a lot of beaches. So we came here to cool off. Because you may not know, but we've had 35 days over 100 degrees. We've broken several records, 100, several days in a row of 109 in our area. So yeah, we're here to cool off too. That sounds strange to you. And, of course, I had to rent a car, so when I go online to rent a car, I usually rent a compact, smaller car. They're cheaper, and that's all we need. But, boy, they got a special going on a Dodge Challenger for only a couple bucks more a day. I got it. (laughs) I've never driven a Challenger before. It's pretty cool. It's not a great expenditure. It's just a couple bucks a day. Why not? and I'm trying not to speed. (laughs) Is there any place I can just let loose around here? It looks like the streets are crowded. I really want to. (laughs) Go out at three in the morning, maybe I can find some space, right? Make the most of your life while you have it. Um, What if you found out tomorrow that you only had three months to live? Would you live life differently? I think you probably would you would make certain plans. you would contact certain people, you would make phone calls. I met a man like that. he was coming to our free Grace Alliance conference just was it just last year, and he was going to bring some of his books he had just written, and he wanted to me to help him market his books or let his books be known and then two weeks before the conference, he says, "I just went to the doctor and they found out that I'm gonna, I've gotta have an open heart surgery but my body isn't strong enough for this bypass surgery and I'm probably gonna die. So I've been calling on my friends and family and telling them, and sure enough, he did. He survived the, the um, surgery about a week or two and then died. So he never came to the conference. You can plan for the future, but what future? You have today, make the most of it. But balance that enjoyment with self-denial let's be very clear about that because I don't want to be accused of preaching hedonism or license which we often do when we stand up for grace but Jesus said to follow him you deny yourself okay and uh, so if I get a Dodge Challenger I'm going to be using my funds for other things for other to help other people right that should be the balance that doesn't mean I can't Pay a couple extra bucks for a Dodge Challenger But it means that I really should be responsible In helping other people who have less And I, Karen and I do that in our own way In our own ministry So balance life A uh, life of enjoyment Of God's things with Self-denial If you want to be my disciple Deny yourself and follow me that doesn't mean you can't get an extra scoop of ice cream I think he's talking about your basic life plan And strategy and values and priorities and goals And then what will you regret Not doing, saying, or seeing Or trying, or going Or where you would go Have you ever asked yourself that question What would I at the end, If I knew I was at the end of my life What would I regret Not saying to a certain person Not going to a place I've always wanted to go. Not trying that food I've always avoided. Seeing some sights. I think when we learn to enjoy this life, we learn how to live now, then we will be prepared to die. One thing about this life for sure, when he says a living dog is better than a dead lion, is that this life is the only opportunity a person has to believe in Jesus Christ as savior. And that's the way we make the most out of this life. Jesus came to give us life and have it abundantly and that means not only eternal life, but to make this life richer and fuller of meaning and friends and ministry and everything else. And so if you're in the sound of my voice and you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior that's where it really has to begin if you're going to enjoy this life we wouldn't be here today enjoying your fellowship and this beautiful city if we didn't know Christ as Savior what would we be doing who knows what we'd be doing who knows if we'd be alive I don't know Jesus came and gave his life as a substitute for our sins he rose from the dead to give us eternal life And he promises that all those who trust in him will have that life beginning now and into eternity, and it can never be lost. It is our possession forever. Let's bow our heads, if you would, and just in a moment of silence and giving everyone their privacy, do you know and would you agree with Solomon that our hearts are wicked and sinful and they have separated us from God? Would you agree with the New Testament that Jesus, out of God's, because he loved us, sent his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins so that we would not have to pay the penalty for our sins. And that he raised himself from the dead by the power of God and offers eternal life today. And would you just thank him for that gift and that gift is yours. And Thank you, Lord. for. The words of wisdom help us to live by them. May our life be fuller and richer, but may it be used to serve you, not ourselves. That's our prayer this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.